You're listening to Tech Talk Central. Okay, this is uh, Vicky Kolovo from Tech Talk Central, and we've got a really interesting panel today on artificial intelligence with some fascinating people around me. Um, first of all, I'll start with, on my right, is Professor Kevin Curran. He's He works at the Ulster University and um, a higher member, uh, I don't get that, if it's right, of IEEE. Um, across me is Carl Minsky from SOMO. Uh, I'll keep to the owner of SOMO, but he does a lot of things. He's an engineer. Um, James Tagg, he's CIO of uh, Truphone, um, but has written an amazing book on artificial intelligence, impressive things. And last but not least, Helen Keegan. We all know about her, Technikidden on Twitter. And uh, so let's uh, start with the first question that actually um, James brought up. When is our smartphone going to get smarter than us? Kevin. Well, you, you could say subjective. It depends how bright you are as a person <laughs> and the context, but we are increasingly getting there, um, especially now with a lot of the processing being turned to the cloud. But of course, we're not going to see a phone in 2017, which there, the strap line is, here is a phone that's smarter than the average person. But of course, they can do some things very, very well again. So like Siri or Google Now, the intelligence behind that, mm -hmm. of course, is, is fantastic. Um, Echo, Amazon Echo, one of my favorite products, again, does wonderful things with, again, just recognizing voice and doing searches for me and just making my life easier. So again, there, there is artificial intelligence below that or, you know, power in that as such. But again, we're just seeing wonderful, again, just the specs here in this year and some of the, the high end, the flagship phones are incredible, mm -hmm. um, especially the new Samsung phone, for instance, and what it can do, you know, f from a purely rendering games. And again, so if we can apply that to actually rendering, you know, artificial intelligent, you know, algorithms as well, that we really will start to see phones just being more responsive than we ever expected. But that, it's more efficient, in my mind, the way you're describing. You're not actually smarter. James, do you have an opinion? Well, if you, you look can, at... You can take the microphone. I prefer you take the microphone. Uh, if, you, if you do the maths, then uh, either if you look at uh, a regular computer or if you look at something like IBM Synapse and you just plot its Moore's Law into the future, uh, you see that somewhere around 2053, they get to the same gate count as a human brain. So certainly in many of our lifetimes around this table, uh, computers are going to get as physically powerful as us. Now, this, you know, your smartphone, um, because it's portable, has to be probably 10 years behind the sort of things that we can put in the cloud. But we're certainly looking at getting the same computational power mm -hmm. uh, as the human brain into, into our de you know, devices, you know, 2060, something like that. And they're getting rapidly intelligent now, enough to do very interesting things. How? Yeah, absolutely. So, so sort of opening up to, to you guys, really, how does this um, affect learning in education, do you think, in terms of what people are learning in schools today and whether they should be using these devices to, um, to continue their learning or whether they should be going along the existing syllabuses? Any? Helen. I think that's really interesting um, because we need new skills to be able to take advantage of the um, capability uh, and computing power that's available to us. So at a really simplistic level, just understanding how to ask the right question so that you get the right service or answer that you need um, 
and you know being able to have the critical thought and analytical capacity to be able to tell when you've got the right answer or the answer that you, that you need. Uh, so I think it's a really interesting thing. But when you're looking at education, I, I know from talking with educators um, at, at Pearson that the strongest thing that makes a difference in how well someone does or doesn't learn a language is their chemistry with the teacher. And I can hear people in the ether saying, oh, so they need real people then to, to teach them. And I, a year ago, I would have said, yes, that is true. But since having been using some uh, apps to improve my personal performance, um, I'm using one at the moment called Fabulous to improve my focus, I actually have a relationship with the voice in the app. And people have relationships with Siri and Cortana and Alexa and all these different things. So I'm really interested to see how that pans out in terms of virtual relationships, uh, as well as the human relationships. Yeah, I think this is that's going to be the real change that we have in the next sort of five years. So the the phones are smart enough, the internet's smart enough to, to be really helpful. And so if you're booking a meeting, it can organize the meeting for you. If you're booking a hotel, it can organize the hotel for you. It can remind you in the morning things that you have to do. It's going to, to, to be your personal trainer or personal assistant. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have quite a strong relationship with it, even though the sorts of intelligence it's doing are not fantastically clever. They're just reminding you of something, you know, looking up in a table and saying, you need to remember the following. Okay, so sort of I hear something about change of mentality and how we react I'm doing a lot of interviews on IOT around here, which everybody's talking about data incoming. So I guess artificial intelligence, the top layer on, on the top of that, that will actually be taking this data and changing our lives. So um, can you, apart from education, what are the sectors do you see artificial intelligence completely changing our lives? Um, yeah. Kevin. <clears throat> Yeah, some of the major successes has been in applying machine learning to categorizing images and being able to do object recognition within images again. So the technology there was you know, deep learning. And again, Google have released the tools for that freely online. And again, it's been one of the most successful machine learning um, techniques in recent years. But again, a lot of these are within narrow domains, um, again, where you apply something like deep learning, again, to object recognition within images. And again, it's also being applied loosely on search algorithms as well. But just like before, I, I agree that intelligence amplification is a term for where you're using technologies like Siri, which help you as a human. So why not rest upon the human brain and then assist that? And that's what most of us really want in daily life, because to cope with modern life with all the pressures with the constant um, reminder of the next meeting and everything else. We need something to make us into super beings. And this intelligent amplification, again, where we just somehow feel we're in control, that we can use technology to remain somehow a little bit plugged in and, and, and have some free time in our lives because life has become just so very busy. And again, I feel for people who don't use technology because I wonder how will they cope with the, you know, with the life which is increasingly becoming more technological. And just like you said, the Internet of Things is one of the problems with a lot of these devices like Alexa and Siri is not knowing the commands to use. It's like only we only use about 5% of the menu in Microsoft Word, for instance. 
But there are so many features in all these new technologies which are wonderful that we never get around to learning and learning how to use. It's like one of my favorite products was the Samsung Note, and it came with this lovely S Pen. And there is a whole manual that comes with that with all the things you can do, but no one ever reads it, and no one does uses the pen to do the things because you have to take a few days off work to learn it. So again, we, we have to go further because there's so much technology we have that can do so much more, but it requires a whole new vocabulary and a whole new set of things. And again, that, that's one of the problems with modern life. So you bring up the matter of education again, that Helen and Carl. Well, that, that, that was just um, continuing from where, where Helen um, was talking about that in the education. It, for me, then that's something I know we, it's easy for us to apply this back into the business life of meetings and so on. But actually, we go to, back to the syllabus through education and schools you know, should there be a, a complete change in the way that people are learning and learning to use these devices in a better way, keeping that brain capacity, as Helen was talking about a minute ago, and actually these syntax syntax, and, and different ways of calling for information is completely changing and actually change that level. But the problem is, as we all know, in all syllabuses pretty much around the world, they're unable to keep up with this change at that rapid exponential growth that we've got. Yeah, I, so... What should you learn in school? Well, <laughs> that's my point, because, you know, do, do we need to know about the, the history of every war? Do you need to just know that the war happened? Yes, given you can look up anything you want to know on Google, why memorize lots of facts? I mean, it's fun if you want to play Trivial Pursuit with your family, but why are you doing it other than for leisure purposes? Yeah, I'm a big believer, actually, that the piano lessons are a thing of the past, that parents should save their money and send their kids to technology class because that helps them. The moment they arrive in university, they're going to have to do everything online, their email, everything else, and all those hours they spend at that piano will be useless because no one goes to parties, no one plays live music anymore. They can just bring up iTunes and plug in a headphone and play it to the rest of the people. I believe technology lessons should be compulsory. <laughs> I, I think technology lessons are quite important, but not in that way, right? Because, okay, so I'm a piano learner, right? And I brought, I brought my music to Barcelona and I booked a piano to go and practice later in the week. So I'm an adult learner. And, and so I, I think the danger is that what, what we're going to teach children to do is use tools, right? Where, you know, tool loose, like hammers and, you know, we're going to learn. And I think tool use is going to go away because the phones are getting smart enough now to be agents. So rather than us having to go to a menu and pull down the menu and remember the right word and do this, we can just, we, we don't need to do anything. The phone will, we, we, we released a little app uh, a couple of days ago that um, checks to see whether you're making the same uh, call to a conference bridge at the same time as you did yesterday. Uh -huh. And it says, um, oh, is this your regular nine o'clock management call? I'll uh, log you in. And you don't have to remember your PIN and password, right? Uh -huh. Now, it, you don't, it's not a tool use, right? You don't. Go to a tool, set up your conference call, blue the, do this, do, you know, move this way. It just watches what you do and then just does it for you. So that's a, a move from tool use to agency. So I, I think the danger is we'll teach all our kids to use tools really well and forget, and, and the agency will take that away 
And what we need to be teaching kids is things that computers can't do, which is creativity exactly. and exercising their free will and changing the world. Sorry, I'm getting a <laughs> bit grand here. Let me hand it to someone else. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's where it's, it's an and, really, we're saying. I, I totally agree with the technology angle, but... Yeah, you know, myself. I play the piano and uh, and a drummer, and uh, you know I can never take that away from me playing the drums. I think how we learn to play the drums is a completely different way. And I think going to a weekly lesson with somebody who, going back to your point, Helen, on have you got a relationship with that person makes a massive difference on how good you are. You know, absolutely using a computer that is that is understanding my technique and actually driving me forward that I can become engaged with and practice more often and be a better drummer <laughs> and a coder than happy days. <laughs> well, I was yesterday, um, two days ago, I was at M Schools. It's an initiative created here by Barcelona where they teach tutors how to use technology, tools um, in education. Um, what I see, education is far behind, and there's a big issue there. And how do we train people, the tutors that already know how to play piano or drums, to exactly evaluate the, the need for children to be creative and along with technology and not just forget everything and only use tools? I don't know. I, problem, I, I have an issue with that when I hear tutors don't really know technology. And then with just all of this, we're, we're talking about artificial intelligence and how it can help children um, become better, but better at what exactly? Sometimes, you know, I'm troubled and worried, as you, James, mentioned. Are they going to be taught to be creative and think about democracy and freedom and free will? Well, I would hope that uh, we will all still be human and that we will still all enjoy art and music and be creative uh, and whatever else. But how can artificial technology... Sorry, how can artificial intelligence help us in that way? Um, I've never seen anything, anybody, or read something that says artificial intelligence can do that in the creative side. Well, there are some creative uses of artificial intelligence. There's, um, is it jukebox.net, I think, or something like that? I need to look up the name for you, which is uh, an automated composing um, program so if you need uh, some music quickly for your advert or you know to top and tail a podcast for example you can plug in and it will um, compose music on the fly for you it, it's very cool uh, but it, it's de it's definitely machine uh, composed and that's fine that but things like that just free up our time and when I think about um, my youth and how we learned we were always catching the teachers out anyway. So, well, yeah, okay, I, I admit it, I was. I, I was always having run-ins with my history teacher and my RE teacher for just getting their facts wrong. So, you know, this the, the, the teachers not knowing everything is not a problem if they know how to teach and know how to, to handle their students uh, and to run with it when they do get smart asses saying things like me. Yeah, so I, I think... Uh, computers are creativity amplifiers, as, as Kevin was saying. It can be. And, of, uh, of course, a big problem in schools globally is the fact that um, it's getting people who can teach ICT who can then, you know, and, and again, because people who can teach ICT generally work in the ICT industry and the jobs are just there. It's so difficult for schools to get people to go into it. I've seen a lovely new initiative in the United Kingdom. To, and again, maths has always been a problem, but they've reduced the working hours for four days for PhD graduates. 
And that has seen great success because they're getting motivated graduates who come in who know how to teach, can engage the students, and of course, will you know who doesn't want a four day week? So that is uh, you know, and again, if that's what you've got to do as a school, well then do that. If it has to be three days a week, at least you're giving your kids three days of good tuition from someone who understands their subject. But we do have a gaps shortage in education for people who know ICT because I've just gone through the GCSE curriculum um, with my son last year and and it. It's so outdated, and yet I know what they tried to do a few years ago, but by the time the syllabus hits the, hits the market and then the kids go through it and it's about four years, it really is really what it is. Most ICT lessons in the UK quite often is really word processing using Word. And, you know, it's just a problem. I think it is getting better. Um, but I have a question uh, for you all. Is how important is it to learn to code at age 10 because you can pick it up later because by the time you're in the in your working environment won't won't it all have changed anyway it depends what coding is so if coding is a skill a creative skill like playing the piano or golf or all of these sorts of things you know you need 10,000 hours so to get to 10,000 hours and I'm trying it on the piano I can tell you it's a lot of work <laughs> it's a lot a lot of your life you know you'll get to 10,000 hours uh by the time you, you come into work, if you start as a child. I don't think you, you, you can get there by just joining a company at 20 and, and doing an eight-week course in programming, although you can do quite a lot. But you look at people who've changed the world uh, out there in the coding land, they, they start as a child. So I think it's really important to teach people programming young. But the, the Zuckerbergs of this world taught themselves, right? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, my, my dad got a computer. He was one of the first people to computerize his company, and I just basically borrowed it. <laughs> and I was just lucky. So I'm one of those people who got 10,000 hours of electronics cause my, you know, and, and coding because my dad had an electronics factory with a computer in it, right, you know? You can get lucky. I got lucky at the age of 10 with my son. My, my wife being an artist, me being a computer scientist, so he's always exposed to technology. But from the age of 10, he's put into 10,000 hours for animation and 3D, and he, he ended up being homeschooled. And he's doing an open university degree at the moment. He's a quarter of the way through. He's 14. Um, and it's a great feeling because I, I got my other son who's 11, but I, he's just in the gaming at the moment, so he's not learning. But, but again, that was just... Uh, well, really bl blessed because I, I didn't force Jack. Jack taught himself everything through YouTube. And b believe me, we had to pay for courses um, and equipment as well all the time. But it's great when you have, a, it's, it's, a, the, it's the most wonderful feeling when you know your son is learning a skill and he's doing it for himself. Um, so it is. And so you can't really force that. So what does this mean for the schools of the future with the proliferation of homeschooling as you describe? Well, I wouldn't recommend it, first of all. I mean, <coughs> we were forced into it for different reasons. <laughs> but because it is, um, but of course it is, yeah. Um, I, it's becoming more likely now because people can do it remotely. But I think schools will remain around for a good while because really the fact that you drop your kids off and you can go to work. <laughs> because really, you, can, you know, to a certain age, you can't, you know, either one parent or two parents has to be at home. So really it's not practical. So schools is one of those rare things that will be around in 10 years' time. <laughs> Okay, so returning back to AI, um, we've seen a lot of cars around in this exhibition. So let's talk about connectivity, car connectivity and artificial intelligence. How is our future going to be? Somewhere you say, Kevin, that um, cars are going to completely change. Oh, 
I think your coffee wasn't tasty or something. <laughs> it's not what I said, right? <laughs> okay, can you, what, what do you see the future in cars? Are they going to be around? Are we going to still use them? Oh, definitely. I, I think we will sh see more of the car sharing economy, of course, the Ubers of the world. But of course, technology has made it so perfect. People, people will buy less cars because even as a teenager now, buying a car is less seen as a rite of passage because teenagers' heads are buried in mobile phones and that's all that matters. They will look back at things and the fact that we get into a car and drive for 45 minutes, they will see that as, oh my God, you were disconnected from the internet for 45 minutes. You're telling me you couldn't see your Twitter feed for 45 minutes? Uh, because what will become more important in the future is the fact that you're online constantly. So the fact that we get into a driverless car that automates, again, the roads um, safely for us, and we can remain connected all the way, doing our emails and seeing things, again, that will become more beneficial. I can see the future where it's illegal for a human person to drive in a road. Uh, I totally believe we'll go to racetracks in in a, in a near distant in a near future, um, and again, so I, I think also the Ubers will take over. Even if we don't have the autonomous vehicles on the road, the fact that we can now hail a cab, we can see where they are. Technology really makes it efficient for people and for drivers to share cars. Where in the past you couldn't do that, but with apps, it just becomes possible. It becomes cheap. It becomes a way of doing it. So I think car ownership will definitely decline. Yeah, it's one of it's one of those we're going to see lots of these types of things where artificial intelligence automates some routine part of our life and it goes away. So driving cars are going to go away. It's going to be interesting things what we're left with. So we probably all enjoy cooking around the table, but we don't enjoy cooking every evening, right? Because that's that's a chore. It's enjoyable to cook when it's when you've got an interesting recipe recipe from something. So it's going to be very fascinating to see what goes away and what we we turn our attention to. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I completely agree, and I think I'd, I agree with where you where we think autonomous or or less ownership of cars. And we've already seen that that trend happen anyway with less ownership, particularly in the younger years. Um, it was interesting at CES um, with uh, Volkswagen Group. Um, we're talking about um, how they are the, the their vehicles are the phone when you're in the car. And everything they want to do is a simplistic handoff between your phone and then your phone becomes the car when you're in the car. But that was all talking about still driving the car. I think the, the key thing out of all of this is taking away the mundane things. Nobody enjoys commuting in a car, whether it's half an hour, an hour, an hour and a half. But as you say before, we do enjoy racing cars. Well, I do <laughs> enjoy racing cars and enjoying that. So it's about how do we have more enjoyment in life and take away the mundane things. Um, and then obviously with ride sharing and things like that, you, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a positive thing for, for both um, environmental but also cost. So I have a friend who uh, has an electric car uh, over in San Francisco and the software just cut out and stopped the car on the motorway. Uh, what about that kind of scenario in the future with autonomous cars? Will they be 100% reliable or, you know, how will that work? Well, the government or some government is deciding uh, they will control your car and stop it um, just like that. You know, isn't that sort of scary? But well, that's, I mean... But my my car stopped on the motorway 15 years ago when the clutch went. <laughs> but it's, you know, so I think I think the stopping piece I'm I'm less I'm less concerned with, um, you know. But I think this is a this is a trend for everything. Everything's connected, and this is the larger IoT. So I think the whole you know 
is a, obviously a huge conversation on on privacy, privacy, and and the data and how it's shared and how there's new relationships between different companies. I think all of that is is up for debate and for challenge. Um, and I think it will it will be solving itself over time as as it is with the larger artificial intelligence you know work that's happening today and and really where does governance sit in this new world of 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 iot i mean the the internet is kind of governed (laughs) where do we go in the future i mean we're generally lucky that that we we have fairly benign nice governments but obviously if you get a nasty government they can do some some pretty horrible things if they've got access to all your data because as soon as they've got access to your data they've got your passwords if they've got their passwords they can get into your car and turn it on turn it off um your pacemaker right yeah. if you have a pacemaker that's got electronics yeah, i mean there was a movie wasn't there a while back mm-hmm. yeah i'm not a conspiracy or you know i'm not into conspiracies but there was a perfect well i always thought it was a perfect crime there was there is a lot of websites devoted to one particular journalist who was killed in the united states where his car drove off a road and looking back, it actually is a kind of a perfect crime for, for an organization to disable the brakes mm-hmm. um, on a car, um, in this particular car. So there's a lot of website devoted to that. And I always thought, yeah, that actually makes sense if you want to kill someone, you know, make it go off on this particular road. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, you've got artificial intelligence. It's collected all your data, what you usually do, and it decides for you what's best for your next meeting. And then time has gone past. And I wonder, it, was it my decision to do it that way? Or how much free will or really believe that that was what we wanted to do, you know, democracy and deciding things? That's, that's sort of what scares me. It's like, I don't know, in the 60s, 50s, I don't know if you remember in the States, in Australia where I was at least in the 60s, they used to put each um, like 23rd frame on um, TV. They used to show you chips because you couldn't see it, but your brain used to catch it. And then you'd go out to the supermarket and buy that specific chips and wonder why you bought them. And then it was outlawed. You weren't allowed. But Yes, um, that's what I'm just saying. You know, you, you get used to Siri and deciding that you have to wake up every morning at seven because that's what you usually do. But do I really want to keep, will I have free will? So, oh, you got to leave. Okay, Kevin, thank you very much for being with us. It was Kevin Curran. We'll continue for a few minutes. So, bye from me. So, James, are we going to have free will? Oh, now that's a, that's a rabbit hole, which I'm delighted to go down. Uh, <laughs> but but let I, there are a group of people, in fact, it's prob- almost the dominant uh, scientific um, uh, principle that, that we don't have free will, that we just kind of march off on in the way that we do, but it's all kind of predetermined. So that's the sort of philosopher's view. We all act as if we have free will. I think we genuinely do. Um, so you know, I, I think you, need, you, you are affected by things. So you put a pencil in between your teeth and you force a smile, you will be happier mm-hmm. if you sit up in your chair in a kind of sort of uh, you know optimistic way. You will make better, more optimistic, more uh, risk of uh, risky decisions. Right. So very very simple things have effects. Um, the question is whether the, uh, when the rubber meets the road, you actually decide at the end of the day what, what to sit up or put a pencil between your teeth or all these kind of little party tricks that psychologists play on you. Mm-hmm. And I think you generally make your your own decisions. Um, yeah, I think I, I I agree. I think there's you, you'll be heavily influenced by technology consistently um, and more so than ever. But while we are still using the human brain, I think to make our decisions, we still got a choice to 
switch on, switch off, ignore, continue for the moment. Do you, do you think there's an issue around, <clears throat> I'm thinking um, gambling uh, on a mobile device and games like Candy Crush, which are incredibly addictive and it kind of changes the way your brain operates uh, and it's kind of like the flashing lights in slot machines and I've seen little children play these games and it's very very troubling to watch them and the characteristics that they display should we have more concerns over that or fewer concerns over that in the world of artificial intelligence Uh, wow Um, gosh is it going to get worse with artificial intelligence I think there's a potential for it to get worse because the artificial intelligence, if you program them to to watch what we do and learn the tricks that would, for us, specifically cause us to be addicted to something, it could probably do a better job than a standard slot machine that's sitting in the in the corner. Now, I mean, slot machines you can't play on until you're 21. There are some, some uh, legislations... I guess if, if gambling becomes more addictive, we'll have to legislate against it more. Yeah, I mean, I think mobile phone addiction already exists, really. I mean, it exists for me, and but, but worryingly for many other people. And I think going back to the, the original question, um, are these devices going to become smarter than us? Then I think we're in agreement. I think that, yes, they are, because they're going to be facilitating our every hour, the 168 hours we have free in the week, um, that... We are, um, in terms of making, what was the question? <laughs> Free will choices, yeah. So where we going then? In terms of choices and addiction, yeah, around that. Um, you know, it's going to be hard to let go. You know, I mean, I, I know that I interact with sports betting more than ever now. I mean, I, I have control over it and I enjoy it. And I, it's something I, I think is great. And actually, for me, it's, it's a benefit to have this on, on my device. Um, but in, in, every, in every sector, everywhere we look, there's, there's unfortunate addictions that... That, that can be made worse. So actually, how do we how can we protect it when we've got this thing that's so personal, but also can understand your your response and your your relationship with it? Um, it could get quite scary unless it's controlled. So let's go a little bit to artificial intelligence and health. Um, do any of you have some examples that you can share that you know you see in the future happening that will really improve our lives? Because we have, we're being a little bit you know, less optimistic. But um, health is really important for all of us, and I believe artificial intelligence can be really helpful. But do you have specific things that you can, like, close this podcast where you say, you know, something optimistic? (laughs) Well, the the counter to that gambling thing or or the health, you know, thing that we sit there and do nothing but just play with our phones is that the phones can help us be healthier. They can watch what we do, and they... You know, just remind us what we've eaten, what how we've walked, what we do, and we can have our New Year's resolutions, and we can tell our phone what they are, and say, please enforce my New Year's resolution against me. <laughs> I'm giving you, I'm using my free will to give you permission to insist that I do the following and get healthier. So we, we, you know, we have this kind of strange relationship with the technology, um, where we hand, uh, you know, responsibility to it to oh. to help us. But we, we choose to give it power over us for, for our benefit. And that's, I think, what we're going to see. I, I would agree with you on that. I'm excited at that prospect. Uh, I'm a little bit scared that the data is out there and, and who has the data and what they can do with it. But from a personal perspective, 
I know from just using my Fitbit uh, and my fabulous app that my I believe my life has improved. I've met the goals that I wanted to meet, so now I can uh, choose some new ones. Where I'm also interested, and I, this occurred to me walking home uh, last night back from uh, a party, <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, I'm walking down the road with a friend, our phone's of next to each other essentially because his is, is, is in his pocket and mine's in my bag so I'm wondering what what the intelligence will be around the people around you and what's known about them and their effect on you as well because all we've talked about today is the individual so it's my phone the, the data is about me it improves my life but when you factor in I might be next to Carl. It's like, oh, actually, Carl's bad influence. Maybe we should tell Helen to go somewhere else tonight. <laughs> Did, didn't you realise that your phone is dating his phone? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, I agree with all of this. And, and yeah, this, this phone has changed my lifestyle, again, in a fitness context. And, you know, it, it has. I've, I've changed what I do. I've changed my routine every day on the back of that. I think healthcare is is extremely exciting. I think there's obviously a huge cost behind all of that to get it in to people and to change people's worlds and lives. But you know, with the computing power we've got in our in our pocket, or indeed shared, and I think the shared bit's interesting. We, I actually joked a couple of years ago when there's a couple of us had a had a, um, a jawbone up 24, and uh, I'd done a lot less steps that day, and someone else done more. So it'd be great if I could share some of my power to to my colleague, so that he's got the power to go out that evening. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So if I've done less today, I've got more, so I can go out till 3 a.m. But my friend James here he can't go out until past 11. I can give you some steps, man. So so uh, we can get there, I'm sure. <laughs> Honestly, I'm scared. Just <laughs> listening to that. We got back to being scared again. Okay, so obviously this conversation can go on for a lot of hours. We don't have... James has an uh, appointment right now. Um, so I want to thank um, Carl Uminski, Uminski sorry, from Somo, James Tag from Truefone, and Helen Keegan, our Technikidden, for being with us. Um, Kevin Curran had to leave. Thank you for being here with the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, thank fun. you. Thank you. Enjoy the show. Great. So this will be played later on today and it'll become a podcast that you can share in the future, you know, your opinions with other people. Great. Thank you. Bye. You're listening to Tech Talk Central.